Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to another episode. And Cody, we have to start today's show with an apology, don't we? We have to, uh, this is becoming a, it's becoming a theme around here. We have to go up and do cleanup duty for our last show. Let's, let's, let's get this out of the way. Let's start it up. We, our last show, we talked a lot about players who had careers that sometimes ended early in their aging curve, and there were tons and tons of injuries that came up, but uh, we we didn't want to do anybody the wrong way and wanted to mention, we listened to the show and we wanted to mention some injuries that we left out. Yeah, definitely. The one that I got a couple of people actually reaching out and shout out to people that reached out and like politely told me about Andre Roberson and his, uh, I think his patellar tendon rupture and the fact that that catastrophic injury probably derailed him. Seeing as his last healthy season, he was playing like 37 minutes a game in the playoffs. That seems like someone that can get some minutes on a playoff team. But uh, yeah, I want to apologize for throwing Andre Roberson off the bus. We were, I mean, off the bus. I don't know where on the bus we're throwing him, but there's a bus and he's being thrown. But if we were in the spur of the moment. He seemed like a guy that matched it. I just kind of tossed it out there without thinking of the injury. So thank you for those of you that reached out and were like, hey, politely, remember, he was injured. So I want to apologize about him. That's cool. That's cool that we, we I mean, I love getting feedback that helps the show like that uh, in a polite manner. And just from my perspective, as we were talking through it, I actually didn't feel like we were throwing Roberson anywhere because as I said when we talked about him I, I really uh I think in the 80s and 90s he, we, we would have been having podcast discussions about whether he's like in the hall of fame really enjoyed his time before he got injured and it just was something that uh, slipped my mind to even mention similarly the other big one that we should mention for context last week in the exact same way was Brandon Jennings I was really thinking of Brandon Jennings early career leaving Milwaukee and then going to another struggling team in Detroit and kind of what that meant for a player that came in and scored the way he did. But of course, uh, I think he had an Achilles, the devastating Achilles that took away his burst and really ended his career. And frankly, there may be, we listed a lot of players. There may even be one or two more big injuries that, that we didn't get to, but we just wanted to set the record straight on that. I have a, you know, I'm gonna have a we're going to turn this into a pitch meeting right now, Ben. I have an idea of a new <laughs> YouTube channel. So the YouTube channel is going to be called Thinking about thinking basketball and what we're going to do is we're going to stream us watching our past podcasts and we're going to pick apart every single part that we we discuss and we could say the validity of each thing that we say and i think that's what the people really want i thought you were going to encourage people to start this channel and have it be like an open source youtube channel where people just go through and and nitpick all the stuff we do and i was like that one that doesn't sound like a, a good idea and two they already have that without the video it's called twitter um let, let's get what, what are we going to talk about today we had we had some we actually came in with a few things we want to discuss on today's show I don't know. I don't know where you want to start because we have a couple of things. I'm not sure if we want to start with some like quick hitters. Let's get these off the table. Let's get the appetizers out of the way before we get to some some bigger dinner options. So I'm going to let you drive the the bus. Let's get back to the bus. I'm going to let you drive this bus right now. Okay. So so the one small one that I keep seeing brought up and someone explicitly asked about it was the take foul. How is the take foul? influencing the burst and offensive rating. We've talked about it many times. We have a whole episode recently where we talked about what has made offenses so explosive lately. And Cody, I don't, I don't know if you've checked. I don't know if you've looked it up. But the offensive rating in the NBA in the last month, in the last month, 
It is 115 and a half. <gasps> 115 and a half. And as we've said many times on this show, historically, that trends upwards. You usually get your highest months in February and March, especially once we get to the home stretch this year with Victor Wembanyama and Scoot Henderson sitting there. Um, it's it's just going to be glorious. So a lot of people are saying, well, is the take foul responsible for this? Um, I think it could be part of it. But here are the transition numbers according to Synergy. In 2022, there were a little over 17 transition plays per game, and the average offensive rating on those transition plays was 112.4. 112.4. This year, the average offensive rating on transition plays is 112.6, so almost identical so it hasn't changed the quality of transition plays, according to Synergy. And then you say, well, the take foul means we should see more transition plays, right? Because you can't prematurely stop the guy from getting out and running. Um, we're only seeing about one extra transition play a game. It's 18.6 this year from 17.3 last year. So that's not really juicing the numbers to the degree, you know, we're, we're talking about historical jumps. We're talking about a couple years ago, 108, 109 offensive ratings. And this month we're up at, we're pushing 116 for the last month. And of course, the other side is free throws. The take foul would increase free throws. And I think free throw attempts are, are pretty steady, but I haven't checked them yet in general. It's a whole different topic. But I think the whistle has been pretty consistent in the last couple months in terms of cutting out all the stuff like launching at players and um you know for the falling down fouls and the thing i've things i've documented before over the summer i, I had a, a a small 30 minute video on the evolution of officiating in the nba i think they've been pretty consistent about that it just goes back to that episode we did where i i think between the shooting and the players they're putting on the court and the stuff they're running that's still probably responsible uh, for the boom we're seeing. So you you actually make the case that it's more of a, a strategic reason. It's a systems reason between all of the teams and their arms race that's causing the the rise in offenses more than anything. I think, yeah, I, th I mean, I think we talked about it then. There are some officiating components, but I think the bigger thing driving it right now is strategy, both in terms of the personnel on the court, the skill on the court. I mean, what, we have a, a ton of young players getting minutes in the league because to borrow Mike Prada's term, they're spaced out native. So they're coming in with these skill sets, more offenses. You go, go to the Sacramento Kings video we did. You're, you're seeing more teams run offenses like that. Um, speaking of apologies, you know, sometimes you do videos with like, like, okay, so we did all this stuff on the Kings and then later on, you realize like one of the things that didn't get in the video was that Jay Triano, you know, he's he's responsible for a lot of the stuff that's happening with the Kings and assistant coach there. And then they brought that in from Charlotte and the coaching tree there. It's just like there's, there's always like little little nuggets like that uh, that are that are tough to jam in videos. Anyway, we wanted to cover that. Um, I will I will pass it back to you. What what before we get into the, the big topic today, do you have anything else that we need to get to on our agenda? Oh, were we uh oh okay. This is a <laughs> We we got a little heated before this this before, but we wanted to revisit a player. I think this has got to be 3 episodes in a row now that this player's name has come up. And I'm not sure if his name has been brought up in 3 straight episodes anywhere before. So I'm really excited about this, but uh Nick Claxton. 
I think especially since you just released a video talking about the flexibility of Nick Claxton. The fact that this this spindly big man who can go out on the perimeter and guard pretty much anyone can also slot down and protect the rim as well as anyone right now. We're not, we're not talking about post-ups, everyone. Just calm down here. We're talking about someone that can just protect the rim, disrupt people's shots on drives and things like that. And uh, we, we are trying to think with Nick, Nick Claxton. Does he, at the moment... Does he have a case for an all-defensive team right now? And we are trying to list out some of the players that are ahead of him. And Ben, <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the league is stacked at the top when it comes to defensive players, especially when we're looking at forwards and centers. There are a lot of really, really good defenders that are in the NBA right now. Despite these ridiculous offensive rating numbers, the individual defenders are off the charts right now. Yeah, I think he definitely has a case. Um that's that's my takeaway. He's he's really good defensively. Also, you get into this question of situational value on your team versus like absolute goodness. I think we've talked about this with Brooke Lopez before, where to me, when I go under the hood, I think Giannis is a better defender. He's a more versatile defender. He, of course, did win defensive player of the year, but there is a groundswell for like Brooke is the Brooke is the drop coverage rim protection god that creates the twin tower effect for the Bucks, And therefore, when you look at his value for the Bucks, I'm going to vote for Brooke for defensive player of the year. Me personally, I, I tend to side more with the overall quality of a defender. Um, and so I would, I would say Giannis is the one that sort of stirs the drink more there, but it's similar in Brooklyn where I think if you put Claxton in other situations or even other defensive systems, he may not have quite as much. He's still very good. He's such a good rim protector, um, as as I as I discussed in this video. But I think he's in a situation where the length of the nets, the way they switch, that all helps him. And and you said you know he's got this inside outside thing. I think a little nuance that I came away from with the video, with doing the video and doing a deeper dive on him specifically, is that as a traditional rim practice. Uh, rim protector strength aside right like he's not super strong so he can be moved a little bit but when he has space to go up and attack the ball both in help weak side standing under the rim stuff like that even against his man tremendous tremendous length uh, and pretty quick loading up and getting off the ground someone I think maybe on Twitter I saw a comment somewhere of someone talking about how you know journalists think that players jump at different speeds. I just want to clarify, when we talk about the speed of someone's jump, we don't mean the physics of how they move in the air. We mean how long it takes them to gather and get up to their apex. And so when you don't have a long load up time and you can quickly get off the floor and you have a seven foot three wingspan, it doesn't take long for Claxton to get to the high point of a shot when he's reacting to the player shooting. So he does all that. But then on the outside, There's a difference between, I think, what he does on the outside and what someone like Ben Simmons does. And this, before we were recording, we got in this list of like, is Claxton going to get enough votes? You know, there's the issue of whether he's a top six defensive front court player in the league, which I believe how it's um, laid out on the ballot. You can just pick three front court players for the first team and three front court players for the second team. And there's a lot of huge names uh, that, that that he has to sort of overcome even if he's good enough. But then we were like trying to separate the differences. And Ben Simmons is interesting to me because Ben Simmons guards one through five for the Nets legitimately. Like in games, 
they will stick him on the point of attack. They will stick him on small guards. You go guard Trey Young and use your length to make it really uncomfortable all night for Trey Young. So they start him there. Number two, he can switch anywhere. So he can switch in the middle of the possession. Um, you know, he can switch onto a, a bigger player if he needs to, like a wing. And then there are other times where they're like, actually, Claxton, we don't like, I think against the Heat, they had him on Jimmy Butler. And if you need to, you can have Simmons go guard the big instead. If, the, if you have like a big meaty player that you want to deal with, you can have Simmons go guard the big. So even though Claxton is great for a rim protector, switching and sliding and moving and going one-on-one with certain isolation players on the perimeter, I feel like it's a different thing than a guy who's a big who's also out on the perimeter like Ben Simmons. So a couple of things. First of all, you talk about load time. I don't remember. There's so much basketball that I forget who's playing who here. But Rob Williams had a block um, very recently. There was a sideline out-of-bounds play. And he comes over help side. Ben, I rewound and watched this play probably 10 times to see if his knee bent. Like, if either of his knees bent at all. Because he just, just came over calves. and just, like, immediately <laughs> was above the square. It, it was incredible. Like, I, I don't think I've seen a quicker jump before. And I was like, that's that, that's it. When we talk about quick load uh, jumping time, like, that's that's him for sure. But I think this is the, like, this is the philosophical, one of the philosophical uh, quandaries that, that haunts me, Ben, when I'm thinking about defense. When we're talking about different kinds of forward defense, right? There seems to be, like, two very different kinds of classes of them, right? We have... Um, and, you know, some of these guys, like, transcend philosophy here at a certain point. Giannis, you know, Draymond Green, Evan Mobley, you know, Jaron Jackson. These guys can slot down to the four. They're tremendous rim protectors. But when it comes to switching out, like, you're not going to take Giannis and say, like, go guard Trey Young. That would be a really misuse of Giannis's abilities. This sort of thing happened, I think, when Robert Covington first went to, to the Blazers. I'm pretty sure Chauncey Billups was like, oh, he's going to be our defensive stopper. It's like, that's not what Robert Covington does, right? He's more of a help side rim protector, uh, jack of all trades sort of defensive player. And I feel like that's where Nick Claxton falls in this category. But then you have, like, let's say the Mikhail Bridges. You have the Herb Jones. You have... Uh, who were who we just talking about? OG Ananobi. You know, all these guys that you can lock down a perimeter player. And, like, I always think that you just want to have more rim protection. The more rim protection that you can slot into a lineup while not giving too much on the perimeter just feels more valuable to me. So when we have this discussion, yeah, I agree with everything you said about Ben Simmons, but the fact that he can't slot down and protect the rim like Nick Claxton, automatically I'm like, Definitely, I would take Claxton over him. But, you know, I'm, I'm open to changing on that. And I don't know how you handle that when you have two forward spots and a center position for uh, all defense. Yeah, you're you're but you're a you're a rim protector truther. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you yeah, you you definitely uh, sort of lean toward that um, that side of the, the game. I just wanted to mention last year, Rudy Gobert, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jaron Jackson, Bam Adebayo. Robert Williams, Draymond Green, those were the six guys who filled up these positions on the actual all-defensive team last year. And then in addition to that, you have Brooke Lopez. He's back this season. Anthony Davis, when he's playing this season. The venerable Jared Allen. You mentioned Mobley. And I think the only other guy that we haven't mentioned who I think is kind of in this Claxton camp um, is probably someone like Jaden McDaniels, 
Right. Again, but again, yeah. like is is what kind of defender is that versus some of the monster rim protectors that eat up these spots? So that is not a comprehensive list, but a pretty a pretty heavy duty list of like Nick Claxton needs to not be beat out by six of those players. He needs to get in the top six of that group to make all defense. And I mean, I think it's going to be interesting. I think he's going to get votes and I think he's right there and it's deserving and he's he's playing great defensively, but some of it's going to probably shake out in terms of where the Nets finish, where their defense finishes, that kind of narrative, and then who else is healthy around the rest of the league. And I think you said this before recording, but this is this is ultimately why we do the defense pod, because we can show people like Claxton a little bit more love, because we have all of these categories and, and talk about and list these players, whereas you know, someone's going to be snubbed and people are going to be angry about the snubbery. And then there's going to be podcasts and articles and think pieces about all the players that were snubbed and why Nick Claxton is actually the best defensive player since Bill Russell or whatever else people are going to get all worked up about. But like, we just made a list. Pick pick who of those six guys you're going to take out. Like, it's it's impossible to try and boil it down to two. So I'm, I'm, I'm beginning the Nick Claxton campaign. I've set up shop. We have a little building. You can call our number and donate whatever you want. But Ben, I know, I know it's an uphill battle, but we still this is this is this is a, a ground attack. We're going to build up and slowly get them into this top six. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry. Also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. There is one more thing I wanted to hit on on that uh, defensive sort of players discussion that we just went through before we start talking about the L.A. Clippers. Hmm. And that is Evan Mobley, a name that some people, maybe if they're not super familiar with our our love of his defense on this show might be like now wait a second I thought he was having a down year I I know his numbers aren't as good as they used to be well our friend on Twitter Polarfall at Polarfall uh he had a tweet last week that we we had looked at some of this stuff privately I can't remember if we had ever mentioned it on a show but he had a tweet about the shooting luck with Mobley on and off the court and so with Mobley on the court this season, opponents are shooting 40% from three against the Cavs. And what, league average is like 35.5% or something like that. And then when he goes off the court this season, they're shooting 28%. So on one hand, without even getting into the quality of the shot, whether this is open or not, um, it's certainly possible and sometimes likely that good defenders make it harder to get good shots and therefore drive your shooting percentage down and poor defenders do the opposite. So it's not like looking at an on-off split like that inherently is about luck, right? There's some skill involved. There's some impact involved. But in this case, when you watch the tape uh, and then you look at the construction of the team, one possible thing is like Mobley's playing more minutes with Jared Allen, so maybe they're biasing toward the paint and spending more time protecting the paint. And they give up more threes, but a forty to twenty-eight split is enormous, especially after last year where the numbers were nothing like that. You have no reason to believe that Mobley's hurting your three-point defense. 
And so that that is by itself something that can absolutely flip not just your plus minus and your on off numbers defensively, but all of the all in one metrics that then pull from your plus minus numbers that think like, uh, when I look at the on off component of this guy, he's not a very good defender right now, even though if this were to flip in the other direction, the same Evan Mobley would be getting Twitter thread after Twitter thread after Twitter thread of like, did you see this reaction? Did you see this block? Did you see this switch? Look at this man possession where he locks up Damian Lillard, blah, 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 blah. I don't even know if he's locked up <laughs> Damian Lillard this year. Um, locks up some small guard, right? And you would be getting that same groundswell for defensive player of the year that you might be seeing with other players who pop early in the season on metrics because they do have favorable on-off numbers. So, you know, like a car, I've 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 looked under the hood of a lot of these kind of impact metrics before. I've never been a mechanic, right? I've never like busted out the screwdriver and built something like this. But looking under the hood, it feels like a lot of these all-in-ones RPM-based stats, don't they usually use some kind of luck-adjusted numbers? And wouldn't that be able to kind of take out some of these numbers to adjust for the fact that this is happening for Evan Mobley? Some of them do. I don't know how much... Um, how much it would adjust or what the adjustment is. Yeah, because there's there's other stuff depending on where you're sourcing your data uh, relating to like open shots that aren't just threes. There's even free throws and things like that. But um, I don't know. I'm not com- comfortable enough to say off the top of my head that with a gap, with a gap like this, that you would see that. Because a lot of times what happens is you're, you're pulling, you're like, oh, this player is um, 11 points worse in terms of his team's defense when he goes to the bench. And you don't realize that if you just flipped the shooting luck at this point in the season, he would be like five points better or whatever. You know, it's, in other words, with the small sample, it's a huge, huge swing. That's That's the point. Okay, so maybe... I don't know, maybe by the time the season ends, we might see a switch with this. I mean, I guess that's the point of seeing like enough data is maybe this switches back since we're we're not even halfway through the season yet, Ben, are we? Like we have we, a lot of data to go. Cody, we are halfway through the season. Are we? How many games have they played? We A lot of teams are right around 40, 41 games. I'm, I think maybe some teams have gone into 42 games. We've We've hit the midpoint of the season. That probably should have been what we started the show with today, celebrating the fact that we've made it through 50% of the season. That's actually pretty good. I don't know. Um, I don't know about you. I still feel like we're like 17 games in. Like, I still feel like I'm like collecting data and jumping around a ton watching different players. I have no idea we're halfway through. What's what, what's happening, Ben? What's going on with time? I, f- I feel like we're in a second season where I scouted a number of teams and did that very broad, like, first couple weeks. Let me look at, like, 20 teams and figure out who's cool and what's going on. And, oh, the Pacers do this and the Kings do that and the Knicks are spunky and I got to catch up on the Nets. And I've d- and now now I'm like, wait a second, has everyone changed and gotten injured? And are, they, are there 20 new teams that I have to scout? That's what it feels like. I feel like a snake chasing my tail on the... Um, Evan Mobley numbers to answer your question, Cody, in defensive RPM, which is a stat that we all know has gotten some weird tuning over the years. So take it with a grain of salt. He's in the 99th percentile Hmm. in defensive EPM over at dunks and threes. I think one of the best public one number stats around, if not the best, he's in the 67th percentile and in defensive Raptor 
538th metric, he's in the 39th percentile. So there's, there's to answer your question, I'm not comfortable making a, a blanket statement about how they handle this luck. It's all over the place. Okay, so if we if we average that, because that's clearly what we should do, we should <laughs> just average it, and Evan Mobley is like a 70th percentile impact defender. That is, uh, yeah, that's the scientific method, is just average a bunch of things that people have attempted to put together. Uh, I mentioned catching up on teams and and trying to figure out if this is the same team as it was at the beginning of the year and things like that. Cody, I, I've been catching up on the Clippers mm-hmm. a little bit. How much of the, let's, let's start with this. How much of the Clippers have you seen when they're healthy? I, this is one of those teams that I try and seek out when they're healthy. Like it's one of those where, you know, I saw the 76ers, for instance, where they were on quite the roll and I'm like, I'm going to go and watch a couple of Sixers games, turn on a game. It's like, oh, Embiid's out this game. Let me go to the, oh, Embiid's out this game. So it's one of those where it like takes a little bit of hunting to figure it out. I've seen a couple. I'd say a couple of weeks ago, I tried to seek out a, a few games at least. So semi-recently, I've seen them. They've played 15 games with Paul, George, and Kawhi Leonard this season. 15 games. Yep. Their win pace in those games is actually solid. It's it's using no luck involved or anything like that, just using opponent quality, point differential, and their actual win-loss record. I have it at about 40, 49 wins hmm. plus three-point differential. So they've been pretty solid. The offense has not been great. Um, the offense, The offense, when they're healthy is below league average. You're laughing because their overall offense has has really struggled all year, right? Yeah, it's it's pretty gross. Yeah. Um so so the offense even when they've been health quote unquote healthy hasn't been there, but I, I mean, I still don't feel like I have a handle on the Clippers. Some of that is cuz I haven't wa- it's not like I've watched all 15 of these games when they've been healthy, but I've watched watched a handful of them and I I just I don't know what to make of this team. We we're we're covering this water now. Is that an expression? We're covering this water. <laughs> we're swimming in this water. So there's uh, a bu- the bu- bus is in the water at this point. The bus the bus is definitely in the water. It's the Clippers bus, and we're 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 doing this now because we did our title contenders and pretenders recently on a show, and we just kind of quietly left the Clippers aside because we didn't really. I don't know about you, but I just on one hand you could be like. They their record is somehow much better than the way they're playing, but also I have no feel for them. But also the idea of the Clippers is still a title team and the ceiling is there and they play the five out and they're all healthy and then they have Zubots as well. And it's like, I don't know. I feel like we need to talk about this. I, I, I don't know what to make of them. I think what's really interesting is that the Clippers and the Lakers weirdly have the same problem right now. Is any conversation you have about how good they are hinge on how healthy and how good their main two guys are and obviously with the Lakers we know that Anthony Davis and LeBron when they were healthy and Anthony Davis was at an MVP level they looked pretty interesting and the Clippers while both of their guys are playing like you just said they played like 15 games they don't look it like Paul George I think shows some good flashes I think Paul George actually looks pretty good like we didn't list him in the the all defensive runnings here I'm not sure if he's going to compete for it but he's still a very good defender he's still a very rangy defender he can help down low because he's so long and he's he's bulked up from when he was younger Kawhi Leonard though Ben uh I don't know what to think about him right now like every every conversation about the Clippers and their title hopes 
And I think even I, like at the beginning of the season, at the beginning of last season, especially had this idea that we were going to get like 2019, 2020 or 2021 playoffs, Kawhi. I don't even know if I'm seeing flashes of it at this point. What are you thinking about seeing Kawhi at this point? I have to, I think, give him the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. and say he's recovering from an ACL in a similar time frame to Jamal Murray. And if it's pretty clear that you can see Jamal Murray starting to get his sea legs back and starting to find his rhythm, we talked about this with the Nuggets defense uh, a couple weeks ago, I think then it's probably a similar thing with Kawhi, especially with the history with his quad and kind of a load management and how much wear and tear he can take. And that's that's kind of where I'm at in terms of like, he he looks like he's moving the way he would move normally in his body, except for the except for the fact. Am I the only one that notices this? Can he run anymore? <laughs> he's, he can't really like get get top speed. You know, I think yeah. it's because he's gained a little weight. He's got the, we've talked about this. He's on our all squat team. Um, he's 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 got those quads and like I have been pulling clips as I've been watching the Clippers, just trying to figure out what is what is Kawhi Leonard's top speed at this point in time. Like when he's in the half court and he's in an NBA possession, he's not blowing by people. But some of that is post injury. Some of that is age. Uh, he's going to the mid range shot a lot. He's settling for a lot of shots. And it's like, is that because this is who he is now? Or is that because he's still recovering from an ACL and in three or four months when he needs to hit the gas? We've seen, you know, we've seen this movie before from Kawhi. Not that he had a bad regular season in 2019 in Toronto, but I thought by the time he got to the end of the year in Toronto compared to the beginning of the year, beginning of the year, Kawhi is just kind of like, getting his feet wet, getting a sweat out there. He's like, ah, Pascal, it's nice. Kyle Lowry, you're doing your thing. This is great. This team is great. Nick Nurse is doing some stuff. He got into the playoffs. He's like, would you guys like me to score 40 points every game? Would that be something that I could interest you? Can I interest you in a nice bottle of pull-up mid-range jumpers? Um, So that's where I'm at with him. I'm like, would I be shocked if he like upshifted a gear in the sort of... um, precision of everything he does? No, I don't think so. Or is this just the new Kawhi Leonard? In in 2019, I actually remember, this is way off the top of my head, I haven't looked at these stats since 2019, but I'm pretty sure the Raptors played better when Kawhi wasn't playing in the, in the regular season. Like, I think they had some weird stats where, like, the games he sat were the ones where he was the best. But obviously that, that changed in the playoffs. The thing about Kawhi that really brought his game to the next level, though, is it seemed offensively, he started really improving in the pick and roll. Like, as a pick and roll handler, his passing decisions, his reads, they all started improving. And from what I'm seeing with the Clippers right now, Paul George is... I'm, I'm really impressed with seeing Paul George in the pick and roll. Like, his, his passing leaves a little bit to be desired, but the slipperiness, Ben, the slipperiness with which that man can drive, the way that he can just contort that 6'8", 6'9", frame and keep that dribble low, it's, it's really, he's really, really one of the more fun offensive players to watch, but it feels like with Kawhi, a lot of their sets are like, we're going to call up, uh, you're, maybe you're going to come off a couple staggers, 
and then you're just going to kind of jab step and figure something out. Or we're going to set you up in the, the elbow area and we're going to get you an empty ISO from there. And then maybe you're probably going to pull for a pull up mid range jumper because you're not going to get all the way to the basket. But my point is, is he doesn't, and maybe some stats are going to debunk me or maybe you saw something that contradicts it, but it feels like the the creation burden isn't quite there for Kawhi and I'm afraid that if he's not ramping that up and really getting the reps in to do that in the regular season how well does that come in the playoffs and even when he does ramp it up in the playoffs I feel like even when he's good by the second round his leg is always super sore and it's like is Kawhi actually going to make it to the end of the playoffs and then you know either he does or doesn't from what we've seen so I think that's really my main concern offensively with Kawhi where would you like what what tier of player is this version right now of Kawhi Leonard in your head um the the, the ringer has their top 100 nba players they had him 22nd i don't know the rules with that top 100 or how it works cuz i think it's a dynamic thing so maybe they're just assuming he's going to be healthier or maybe they're not maybe they're saying this is where he is right now and if he gets healthier then we'll move him up like his his numbers look good, but this is clearly not the peak Kawhi Leonard we've seen. This is not the best offensive version, as you just mentioned. So offensively, his numbers slack back a little bit. Just raw numbers for, for people who haven't been following the Clippers at all. Just 22 points per 75 right now in the games that he's played. He's played 17 games and minus 2% true shooting. So like with the spirit of this conversation is this is this an all-star player is this an all-nba player is you, you know where where are you with him in your head so i i don't remember exactly when i pulled this i think it was probably about a week ago i was looking at how Kawhi and pg were performing when they were either sharing the court with each other or one of them was on the other was off and Kawhi, when he was on the court with paul george with about 330 minutes at that time he was scoring at about 20.6 points per 75 on 53 percent true shooting so that's well, say, say that again 20 21 and 50 21 and 53 yeah. yeah so league average is 57 something so, okay, keep going. Yeah, we're talking like negative four type of efficiency. But when he was on the court without Paul George, the scoring didn't ramp up like we've seen in years past, past for him. It was about a shade under 27, so about 27 points per 75. But it goes up to about 63% true shooting. But the interesting thing is the assist numbers. They go from about five per, per 75 with Paul George and then down to about four per 75 with Paul George. So again, going to the creation thing that I'm talking about. But as the Lone Star, sure, his his efficiency is spiking. But that scoring volume, you like, we're used to seeing that pretty significantly higher from Kawhi, especially when he's a lone uh, star on the court. But I think a big thing to talk about with the um, whether or not he's an all-star level player, all-NBA level player, and we don't necessarily have to jump to it yet, but we also need to talk about his defense to see how that all factors in. But um, I'm, I'm not really sure. That's a really big, big question that I haven't started mapping out yet as to what level he is. Those numbers concern me a little bit, though. Okay. Yeah. No. I mean, that's the that's the whole thing with Kawhi. I think his defense has actually been fairly solid. It's just more of a question of how much more room does he have to grow into, kind of as part of what we'll call injury recovery, and also some degree postseason Kawhi. You know, he he does have a history of kicking it up a little bit in the playoffs and and kind of leaning into his strengths or his strengths um, often match what you need to succeed in playoff basketball in the last few years. The the other thing that is bouncing around my head as I watch them 
is they're 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 kind of a slow-footed team, wouldn't you say? They're they kind of they got a lot of big bodies out there, especially when they start Zubac and you know Zubac has been has been I think a really nice drop center for them as a starter. I think on both ends of the floor, he he's been a really nice piece, a really nice story. Sometimes you're watching, sometimes I'm watching them and I'm just like Zubac has been their best player. You know this whole half, like what what would they what, where would they be without him in this half? But it's a, a similar kind of group to what we saw a couple of years ago. But two things have changed. One, they're all older, so it's the same players, but they're all older. It's Marcus Morris, it's Kawhi Leonard, it's Paul George, it's Reggie Jackson, it's Terrence Mann. Um, stop me if I'm forgetting anyone. Right? It's like Did you say, but two. Same- uh, but thank you, thank you. Uh, Nick Nick Batum is another one. So it's the same group of players, but they've aged like two to three years. And then the other thing is the league has changed, and this is what I can't get out of my head. Um, you know, because this may be nothing. The, the the all of this may work, and Kawhi may get healthy, and George may be healthy, and the idea of the Clippers as a switchy, sort of rangy, interchangeable, five-out, beautiful system that the the very thing that we saw puncture someone like Rudy Gobert with the Jazz a couple years ago and just confound them, that idea may still hold up. But in the back of my head, I'm like, is that idea stale? Is that idea still give you does it still give you the same competitive advantage that it gave you a few years ago now that the league has shifted? And the league has shifted in two ways. One, on defense, we have kind of more strategy and more adaptability and more lineup flexibility to take care of teams like the Clippers, to take care of like, oh, I don't want to get stuck with uh, some, a bunch of drop bigs and one way to defend and, and we, can't, we can't handle five out. That's one thing. And the other thing is on offense, the Clippers offense, if the, if this same offensive system where you're, you're five out, driving kick, some decent three-point shooters, a star or two that can create some offense, um, you know, I don't think they play a lot in transition. We could look up the numbers in a second. But, like, if that's your offensive system, two or three years ago, you're like, hey, Cody, 117 offensive rating, what do you think? And now if it's the same kind of players and the same kind of shooting and concept, even against that same defense, 117 offensive rating is not is not going to get it done unless you have like a top three defense in the league. And the defense has been solid, right? But I don't know if in the playoffs they're, they're, they're going to win or this team is even theoretically constructed to win with an average offense and an elite like championship level defense. You, you bring up the the sort of five-out attacking that we saw against the Jazz a couple of years ago in the playoffs. And I, I still feel like I see flashes of it. And a player that I don't know if you mentioned, maybe you did, but we, we say a lot of players during the day. Norman Powell, I think, is is uh, pretty integral to their success because he strikes me as someone that brings that like driving juice. This is a guy that really gets to the rim more than pretty much anyone else not named Paul George on the team. Uh, but they were playing the uh, the Clippers were playing the Pacers, I think, right at the end of the year, literally the last game of, of last year. And there was a, a moment in the fourth quarter where the Pacers start trying to, to blitz Paul George. Right. And I think they have Terrence Mann kind of hanging out as the short roll, short roll guy. 
And the Clippers took full advantage of it. There were like four straight possessions, and I think they scored nine points in those four possessions because A, they had a guy like Luke Kennard, where if you can get one pass and boom, you hit Kennard, he's going to knock down a three. Like this is one of the best just catch and shoot pure shooters in the NBA. But two, you got someone like Reggie Jackson, who I think is shooting a little above 40% on wide open threes this year, and then Norman Powell in the corners. Like that's a lot of juice that you can spread out. So maybe you're able to attack in certain points and maybe I shouldn't be bringing up the Pacers in terms of like, oh, the Clippers can really ramp it up because they did it against the Pacers on December 31st. But I don't know. I, I do think that there are flashes of it, especially if they have specific lineups in there because I just I just don't think everyone that they have is able to, to play at that level. So I, I don't know. that that's, that's what I think about what you just said. When you said last year, I thought you meant 2022. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, Cody is turned into LeBron James. He's like quoting plays from random 2022 <laughs> games. I was like, how did you remember that? Yeah, the, the calendar a couple weeks ago. Yeah, a couple of years year. ago. Yes, yes. Yeah, it was 2022, I, I, actually. I, I missed that part um, and it really threw me for a second. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I watched that game recently as well. And uh, by the way, the Pacers, the Pacers are a nice, the Pacers are like a light adult beverage. They just go down easy. They're, they are just a really nice watch. Um, but yeah, the, let's, let's go back to what you said about Powell and his drives. The Clippers are not a team, when I see them, that sort of breaks you down off the dribble a lot. You know, they, they don't have a ton of paint touches and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the Nuggets are also a team that totally built differently, so you don't get a lot of ball handlers driving into the paint. But but the irony here for me is I, I think when I think about five out and I think about having switchy sort of um, rangy players that can shoot or attack closeouts or things like that, and all these guys do that. That's what they do. But they are a little slow-footed. They are a little big. And so you end up with a team that we pulled the numbers – the Clippers are 21st right now in drives per game, uh, and they are 17th in driving efficiency. And you mentioned it; like their their top guys in terms of drives are players like Norm Powell. Um, he he gets about 11 drives per 36 minutes. That's in the 80th percentile. John Wall has been, I think, the guy who's probably been the best at beating his man off the dribble. That's so funny because John Wall has like lost a step, but he was just so fast that he's still maybe the fastest clipper and the kind of the quickest clipper in terms of what we're talking about with ball handling. But yeah, I I, I don't want to drop this bomb at the end of this long rant, but it, it has me thinking about the 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 69 Raptors, you know, the, that whole that whole project of like let's get a bunch of guys and and have them be very similar but does that actually work even even in a better version right because the clippers clearly are are they have different dimensions than than the raptors in terms of team construction but this is where my head is that's a that's a really big question i'm going to i'm going to shift back for a second i really like that i'm going to put a pin in that I'm going to type down same build construction because I don't want to forget that. But you said John Wall. I want to sit on John Wall for a second. I think I'm a little bit more concerned than you are. And, and you know, maybe I'm going to be citing a player that we just said is a defensive player of the of, of all defense type of candidate. But they're playing the Celtics recently. And when they kind of had their small lineup in, you know who Rob Williams was defending against the Clippers? I think you can guess based on what name I just said. 
I'm going to guess John Wall. That is correct. And he was able to... Do I to, get a prize? Yeah, you get a prize. You get to hear me talk about why I brought up his name. Like, why wouldn't you want that? So John Wall, maybe he's, he's spaced out uh, either in the corner, maybe he's like on the, uh, on the wing. But Rob Williams is like not respecting him at all. Like on any drives, Rob is all the way in the paint, just waiting for anyone to come towards him. And then you're like, oh, great, but that's fine. John Wall could probably beat him off the dribble. There were a few instances in this game where John Wall's bringing it up and it's just like one-on-one against Robert Williams. John doesn't even attack him. Like Wall doesn't even like look to try and break him off the dribble. And I'm like, okay, Rob Williams is a good defensive player. But I don't think he's that quick on the perimeter that somebody like John Wall shouldn't be beating him. And A, B, I don't know, like John Wall's finishing feels a little bit looser than I've seen in the past. He does have the burst sometimes in transition, but I think when it comes to like half-court juice, I'm a little concerned about how he can be schemed against. Um, I I don't necessarily know what his rotation minutes are going to look like in the playoffs for this team. Yeah, I agree. Okay. I agree. You know, when you said you're more concerned than me, I I, I got nervous because I'm like, I'm over here. I'm over here saying the Clippers, the Clippers concept might not work anymore. It might be passe. And you're like, Ben, you are way too high on the Clippers. They won't, they won't even make the playoffs. Um, they're in, actually, in that sense, they're weird, right? They've, they've, they've been a little banged up. They lost a ton. They lost like, what, five or six games in a row before winning their last game. But they've had a, a weird season from just a team perspective because their net rating is still negative. Their offensive rating is like what 28th in the league right now, I think off the top of my head. They're they're about 3 points worse than league average. Um they their offensive pace I mentioned earlier, it's it's above average, so it's not like it's not like they're slow in terms of getting shots up. But I think some of that from what I watch them is just being qu- pretty quick with the trigger on the outside, like Kawhi especially, and then even Paul George and some of the other players. They just It's like, I, I got it. I'm going to get into a quick jumper, a three-pointer, mid-range pull-up, long mid-range. I think Kawhi this year, his shot profile, and again, it could be transitioning back into sort of uh, post-injury shape, but like he's taking more jumpers from the outside. So yeah, I'm I'm... I'm fascinated because I can't, I can't wrap my head around where they are. I don't know where it feel. I feel like not only do I need to see more, but we might just have to wait until the postseason. Um, but my low end for them is actually. I mean, we didn't even talk about them on the contenders and the pretenders pod. So in a sense, <laughs> I feel I feel kind of low on them. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I just don't. I don't really see an avenue for them to be championship contenders. I, I just don't. And of course, like you said, the transition numbers, they're getting shots up in a reasonable time. Of course, it makes sense. You're going to take less time off if you don't go all the way to the rim and you pull up and just shoot. Like, of course, that's going to take less time. Um, I don't know. That's that's more or less a joke about the way that they just pull it. Like, Paul George and Kawhi love their pull-up jumpers. Like, I wish I wish they didn't all the time and I wish they did all go all the way to the rim and I would love it if they actually showed like long mid-range efficiency because they take the third most percentage of their shots from the long mid-range in the league and they're hitting them about 15th so they're like right in the middle of the league and if you're going to take that many long mid-range shots you have to be like the Nets and be the best team in the league at shooting it like you can't be living at 41% from long mid-range. Well, well, their half-court offense has actually been okay. It's a little below league average on our board using the using the synergy definitions. But again, that indicates that like what's dragging them down. It's that this is not a team getting out in transition, creating easy baskets, um, things like that. So, 
yeah, I, I you let's leave on this because I did feel like that was a strong statement you just made. I think that I think the window, I think there's a window or a possible path for them to get into championship contention, and I think it's the combination of getting healthy. This this, this idea of the Clippers, the structure of the team, still working. And keep in mind, they do have Zubats, so they it's not like they only throw one pitch. They can throw multiple pitches. And then the league has a lot of parity, Cody. The league has a ton of parity. So to create a competitive advantage that works, or maybe more aptly to get in the playoffs and meet a variety of different opponents, but be able to bend and flow with them, and that's kind of like Ty Lue's coaching strength as well, I think that's the avenue for championship contention. I wouldn't bet on it right now if I had to, but I, I wouldn't say it's closed in my head. It might be closed in your head. It's not closed in my head. I'm not, I'm not ready to slam the door just yet. Okay, so for, for all of you number people out there that are putting like statistical probability based on what I'm saying, when I say I don't see an avenue, I guess, sure. Is there like a possible world where they can win a championship? Yeah, I guess there's a possibility where things all break right for them. I just don't see that as being a likely outcome. Uh, do you want to talk about the same build construction thing? Because I think that's a really, really interesting point that you brought up about them and the Raptors. Oh, with the Raptors. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to me. Like, they're obviously different flavors here. The, the Clippers obviously have strengths that the Raptors don't have. But I think the criticisms I've heard of, of the Raptors and what they're doing is it's like you're indexing on one thing too much. You're indexing mm. on switchability and length and maybe like we want we want these like mid-sized players because we can balance everything out. We don't have the weaknesses of slow plotting big men who can't shoot and handle the ball. And we don't have the weaknesses of small players who are too tiny and massive defensive liabilities and, and you know, can't do stuff in the paint and things like that. Um, I, that is maybe the simplification of what's happened in Toronto in the Clippers they obviously have far more skilled players, but it's like maybe a cousin of the same concept to me because I feel like their entire roster is. Are you a, are you a center? Are you are you a are you a power forward? Are you a small forward? Are you a shooting guard? What what are you, Marcus Morris? What are you? What position are you playing right now when you're out on the court? I can't tell, but you guys are big, and so that seems really nice defensively. But also, Cody, to your favorite thing ever, do you have a lot of rim protection when Zubats goes off the court? I think Paul George, I mean, when he was younger, he probably gave you a lot more. But this this version of Paul George maybe gives you a little. When I look down the rest of the roster, like I think Batum has provided a little in the past. I don't know where he is now. But it's just, it's this same thing where you have all these kind of similar-like players. And so do you not actually excel in each sort of component of team building that makes you more well-rounded in the playoffs? Whereas like the Nuggets maybe are on the exact opposite end of the spectrum where they have this, like everything is built around Jokic and you know the weaknesses that they have and you're trying to shore up the weaknesses and just make sure the system runs smoothly on the strength. And if the Nuggets succeed, you're like, we know we're going to succeed on offense, and we just have to find a way to defend enough so the offense does its thing. It's really interesting how how it switches, because I feel like for, for a few years there, it's all about positionless basketball. You want to play positionless basketball, blah, blah, blah. But it's kind of switched and like turned back now, where it's like, 
you still want to play like role basketball. Like you, ser- you still need certain roles to be filled on the basketball court. You need the role of somebody being able to to drive into the paint to get two to get two feet in the paint, right? You need somebody that can take the role of being able to shoot. You need to be able to take somebody that can that can take the role of defending the rim and switching out and doing all those things. And if you're able to compact all of those roles into multiple player, like into individual players, right? Like if you have a, a squad of guys that can do all those same things, that's exactly what you want to do is have these guys that can fill multiple different roles but if you just happen to have a bunch of guys that can switch out and hit a jump shot that's missing a lot of these other kinds of roles so i think it misses the point of like what positionless basketball should have been and should actually be like a skill-based role-based uh team building concept that people should be building towards well second second mike prayed a shout out in in the last episode uh, the last show we did together he talked about how you know positionless is a misnomer Mm -hmm. for for this very kind of reason um the other thing in there is you could play a different way Mm -hmm. right you know the clippers the clippers play a particular way where you know each game i'm looking for like show me the sexy offense you know show me show me what the pacers runs show me show me what the kings are running show me so show me some of this stuff that we've seen around the league that has made teams so difficult to guard and i don't know if you have a roster just like with the raptors it's the same problem like if you have a roster that has these same players across the board, how do you actually unlock that style of play that so many people coming into the league, the ability to shoot, the ability to attack a closeout, the ability to make a decision, the ability to move, all those things go together because you've got to make the decision on the fly. You want to be quick with it. You don't want to have the ball a lot, off-ball movement, screening. You want to be able to Um, as an off-ball player, be a threat to shoot or screen and interchange those things. And then as we talked about with the Kings, the final piece is you get the ball. Now I get the ball in that action. I get the ball in that handoff. Our friend Jordan Sperber has a great video on Hoop Vision on quote-unquote Zoom action, which we've talked about a lot of the three-man sort of handoff games where you set a screen and all this and how popular it's becoming in basketball. When I get the ball off that handoff, am I a threat to shoot? And am I a threat to also put it on the deck and continue to attack an advantage or a very small advantage? If if your personnel is too rigid, it's hard to play that way, I think, even though that's so popular and so enticing. So I think it's a combination of all these things that potentially limits you. And players that are coming in aren't necessarily like perfect little builds. Like you can't be like, all right, we're going to get guys that can make decisions off the bounce, that can shoot these shots, that can move in space and things like that. You sort of have to bias towards certain skills at some point. But like being like, all right, if we're the Raptors, what do we need? We probably need someone that can break you down off the dribble and get into the paint. What do we need? We need someone that can shoot. What do we need? We need uh, maybe some more rim protection, but I probably not that one as much. I think they probably need more shooters and and paint touchers. But you're going to have to bias away some of these other from a away from these other roles if you're going to pick some of those up because players they just have different skill sets and i think that's the thing that that you have to deal with is i think sometimes instead of picking the person that's like what's the little graph where they like flower out and it shows like how good they are in like a circular motion this is this is great podcasting everyone's favorite rate that like radial graph where there's like a bunch of different lines yeah, that and it's like filled in a little bit, and maybe you're like higher on one thing and lower on the other thing. 
What are you trying to say? My, 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 <laughs> my point is, is sometimes you don't necessarily need the whole thing filled in as being equal. Sometimes having a spike here and a, and a valley here is okay if you're biasing towards a certain role and skill set that you actually need for your team. Yeah, different pl- different players playing different roles and, and complementing each other. Um, the fascinating one to wrap up on here is that the Raptors and the Clippers had very similar driving profiles. When I was looking up team driving data that we cited earlier, where the Clippers are 21st in drives per game and 17th in efficiency, and the Raptors are 18th in drives per game and 23rd inefficiency and there's only a handful of other teams sort of in that same ballpark the phoenix suns are one of them and then i mentioned denver because denver is a team that plays a totally different style so they're actually at the bottom of the league in drives because of all the other things they do because of the handoffs and the cuts and the movement and things like that so i think that's a that's a good place to wrap for today uh if you want to support this show check out patreon.com slash thinking basketball we have our daily stats board that updates that's where we pull a ton of stuff for teams and players throughout the the season and when we research videos and podcasts like this one patreon.com slash thinking basketball we also have the nick claxton video this week on the more thinking basketball youtube channel fun fact cody and for those who listen all the way to the end i'm just going to put this nugget in at the end uh I recorded that video late at night and my brain could not say Nick Claxton. It took me like 11 times to say his name. It was, it was kind of, I was like, Nick Claxton, Nick Claxton. I couldn't, I couldn't say it. <laughs> it, it, so it was I'm, the I'm feeling good. Was it the X that the was X, messing the up? The X killed me. Okay. Yeah. I've never had that happen. So, uh, um, I'm feeling good at the end of this show that I'm able to say Nick Claxton's name again. And, um, <laughs> hope, hopefully, Hopefully I won't get stuck on too many names in the future. That's it for this one. Thanks for listening all the way through. And of course, wherever you are, I do hope you're having a great day.